Laura, you're back. Finally, we have an episode to record. Where were you? I just went to 10 Speed to get coffee. Well, what'd you get? Pumpkin spice latte, obviously. <gasps> the spice. <laughs> the spice melange. The spice extends life. The spice expands consciousness. The spice is vital to space travel. The geriatric spice must flow. <laughs> Welcome to Film is Lit, the podcast where we compare and contrast a piece of literature to its film or television adaptation. My name is Danny. I'm the self-appointed film expert. And I'm Laura, the self-appointed literature expert. Yes, these remember to out. talk into the <laughs> microphone. <laughs> and this is another special episode. So if you've heard our earlier episode on Dune 2021 that we did with Dr. Sean Flory, you could tell we were fans. <laughs> <laughs> so much so that we wanted to cover it again on this episode. We're going to talk about the upcoming sequel that was just greenlit. Well, upcoming. It's coming in 2023. So soon. No. Um, <laughs> Not and, that soon. And we're going to do some dream casting. And we're going to talk all about it. Do a mini review for the film again. Try not to cover the same ground we did in the previous episode. But yeah. Uh, any announcements at the top? Well, we do have a special guest. <laughs> well, yes. I was going to get But no, to other that. than that, no. Great. <laughs> Returning on the pod, my brother... Tim Gaylord returns. Tim, say hi. Hey, thank you so much for having me back. I am pretty stoked to talk about Dune here. Yeah, we are so pumped to have you on. We met a few weeks ago in San Diego and to see the movie, we watched it. After that, we're like, we need to do another episode. <laughs> we had already had Dr. Sean Flory's episode planned, but we're like... We could do another seven episodes. <laughs> this could just and become then another a seven more. Ep yeah. like podcast. Yes. <laughs> And I kind of want that to be the case. <laughs> Honestly, I think I I think the movie is great, but I'll be done after this episode. I'll be a little doomed out. Laura's, I'll be honest. Laura's <laughs> she's had a little too much spice for <laughs> for one woman to take. She's she's uh, she has a spice hangover for sure. Yeah. But yeah. Dan and I are addicted. And yes. yeah. Laura is having yeah, spice controls. <laughs> And just like the people in the book, if we don't get our daily intake of Dune, we'll die. <laughs> yeah. We need to keep talking about it. So, Tim, for the listeners who haven't listened to one of your previous episodes, just talk a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I am Dan's older, but not the oldest brother of three and a uh, big fan of sci-fi. So I think that's why Dan and I both geeked out on this uh, pretty hard. And um, also just the, the the world building and story building was uh, was really Really right up my alley. So, um, yeah, pretty, pretty excited to dive into this. Nice. Heck yeah. Yeah, it, uh, I've seen it five times now. I know one of those times was with you in the theater a few weeks ago, as we said, in San Diego. We know that it's coming back in IMAX soon. So probably going to see it God. again. <laughs> yeah, it was only in IMAX for a few weeks and then Eternals came that was a, a bit of a bummer that Eternal sweeped up all the IMAX screenings. But um, mm -hmm. now Dune's back because the people demanded it. Film because you too demanded it. Yes, You're we demanded it. just sending emails to, <laughs> yep. yeah, to Warner Brothers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's coming back. So we're, I'm going to see it again soon. It's off of HBO Max currently, which is a bummer. But it'll be back soon. 
the digital DVD comes out after Christmas would have made a great Christmas gift, but <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, it's just that's just how it worked out. But yeah, there's a lot to talk about. So Tim has already heard the previous episode that we did on this with Dr. Flory, so we know what not to cover. But Tim, why don't you give a brief glimpse into your review on Dune 2021? Yeah, yeah. So I, I'd never really even heard of Dune before the news of this movie came out. Um, honestly, I'd never never come across it. I'm not sure how I'd, I'd missed it uh, because it's, again, it's right at my alley in terms of um, the story and the, the genre. But after listening to your podcast about uh, Lynch's 84 version and, and hearing your old professor, right, Dr. Flory, talk about how amazing the book was, that combined with kind of seeing that brilliant trailer that they put out, uh, for the new movie, I, I had to immediately give it a read. Um, and I, I could not put it down. I loved it so much. Um, like Dan, I'm, again, I'm a big sci-fi fan. And this book had such a great mix, I thought, of science fiction and, and powerful kind of character and story development. I mean, right, there was mythology and religion and politics and imperialism and environmentalism and clever scheming, betrayal, fanatical armies, what more do you need, right? So it, it, yeah. it really reminded me a lot of my, my favorite book of all time, which is Pillars of the Earth by Ken mm -hmm. Follett. Mm -hmm. um, now, I, I do still think Pillars of the Earth is a lot better than Dune in a lot of ways, um, especially since it centers around architecture and craftsmanship, right? But yeah. there's also this story of these kind of prominent medieval houses and royalty and the Catholic Church um, all kind of scheming for power and everybody's trying to outwit one another. Um, and it's all interwoven around the building of this cathedral. So Dune felt kind of like a, a futuristic sci-fi version of mm. Pillars of the Earth, even though it came out first. But I loved how there were kind of fictional elements to the, the Dune story that weren't overly fictional. And uh, if, if that makes sense, I, I can dive deeper yeah. into what I mean by that. But I, I think that, you know, that'll Take a good chunk of time, but yeah. After reading in, after after reading the book, right after your recommendation and, and the podcast, um, I kind of went full research research mode on everything Dune, um, <laughs> nice. and uh, I because I definitely didn't pick up on a lot of the smaller details um, and some of the themes. But by the time the movie rolled out, I was a, a Dune pro, and uh, I probably hyped it up way more than I should have, which I know Dan was also doing. Yes. Um, and we were kind of hyping hyping each other up, right? So uh, I, I I vowed to, to make sure I saw it first in theater because I wanted to give it the right first viewing. Um, so waited until I got out to the West Coast to, to watch it with you guys. But Man, did did our boy Danny V deliver, right? Um, yeah. I know you've said this, but that, that two and a half hours felt like 30 minutes to me. Uh, there wasn't a scene that could have been left out. Honestly, I wish they had only done like the first third of the book in this first movie mm. so we could get more story in there. Yeah. But overall, cannot wait to revisit the book and the movie, which I was going to do right before this podcast, but did not research the HBO Max streaming availability, right? And they. Eight crushed me by taking it down just like th two days before I went to go uh, review it, um, which, which uh, yeah, was a, a low blow. So I'll be going to see it again in IMAX. <laughs> a blow from um, the when it, Yeah, when it, <laughs> when it returns, yeah. Excellent, awesome. uh, excellent uh, side camera there, yeah, Laura. It, it was, <laughs> it was a death blow from a Chris Knife. Yeah, I was nervous when I recommended the book to you last summer. You had 
just started to go read it and knowing how dense it was because it is it is a task reading the book not Mm -hmm. a strenuous task but it's just a lot of sci-fi and even hardcore sci-fi people i mean you really got to be in it to love it and it's taken laura i mean laura you don't fully love it yeah i've read it twice (laughs) and i think the more i read it the more i understand it but it's not like i'm not passionate about it like you two are but that's okay Mm. yeah but to my surprise, or not surprise, but to my joy, you ended up loving it. So I was... Uh, yeah. And the the more the more I research it, the more I hear like I've 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 listened to so many just um just background on all the glossary items, right? Of just mm. like I want to make sure I fully understand the the different houses and the different themes. And the the more I hear things I already know, but I hear again, I get even more excited about it and, mm-hmm. yeah. and more into it. So I, I love how complex it is. I, I learn something new every time I revisit a, a piece of it or revisit a scene. Uh, again, can't wait to reread it. Can't wait to rewatch it. Um, I think every time I, I'm 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 so tempted to dive into the the later books, right? But I, I hear they kind of go downhill, so I'm not sure how how uh, how far I should go. But I yeah. think I, I probably will just for the sake of knowing knowing what's out there. Yeah, the Dune Messiah, the sequel, is a big bummer, just thematically and yeah. and how you feel in reading it. It's it's not a fun read. Children of Dune is pretty cool. But then after that, it gets super weird. And I haven't even finished the original six books that Frank Herbert uh, yeah. wrote. <laughs> Have you seen the the miniseries? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So there's two. But yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. They are good in the sense that the acting's good and they cover the entire book. So like every single scene is in there. But... It came out in 2000 on Sci-Fi Channel, so they simply didn't oh. have the budget to pull off some stuff. The costumes look like... They're pretty goofy. They look like a high school play. I, yeah, I saw some yeah. pictures, and especially like the Sardaukar, and I was just like, oh, no, that's not yeah. what they look like. <laughs> yeah. And and Paul, too, is also played by like a 29-year-old man, and <laughs> it's just not... Yeah. He's he's just not Paul. He's a good actor, but he's just Got not, yeah. not mm-hmm. Paul. It's supposed to be a boy. Uh, turning into a man that's like the whole point and then children of dune there's a series that came out three years later in 2003 which covers dune messiah and then children of dune the same deal it's everything in the books but yeah they i think i think that's the one i saw with james mcavoy right those are the pictures i saw yeah yeah okay yep yeah so i mean they're worth it for purists i think Maybe like when you're working out or something like that to like not fully pay attention to, but sure. uh, yeah. just as like cool little Easter eggs to see your favorite scenes that maybe didn't make the new movie. Yeah. Well, something I wanted to talk about that we didn't get to last episode was the Mentats. We didn't mm, really yeah. cover that um, at all. And I got to admit the character of Through Fear Howard in the book on my reread he kind of seemed a little annoying. I, I didn't really like reading <laughs> his parts because it's kind of by design because he was tricked into believing that Lady Jessica was the uh, betrayer. Mm-hmm. And so the whole time he's just pissed off at her and you just know that he's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> right. yeah, I was wondering how Denis was going to pull that off 
And it's cool how Villeneuve cuts the, the Gordian knot of exposition by just not talking about stuff at all and using visual storytelling. They never mention the word Mentat in the new movie. Oh, they don't. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. But an entire you know, race of people is communicated through the Mentat rolling his eyes back in his head. And you as a viewer mm -hmm. can kind of put together that, okay, he has some sort of higher level of intellectual power. And you can see that right. with Piter. But my big complaint is that there's just not enough Piter or Thufir Howard in the movie. I mean, Thufir Howard Agreed. actually comes off as a little incompetent because he fails to find the spy mm -hmm. uh, in the walls, which happens in the book. But... There's really no time spent on the whole mechanics of what's going on in the palace. And through for hour, it just kind of seems like a dunce for, for missing that. <laughs> right. right. Um, and then along with that, David Dusmalchin is great as Piter DeVries. I mean, that character looks yeah. horrific and he's such a great actor on his own that he really carries the minimal screen time he has. But I think it speaks to how well the movie flows that by the time Piter dies, you're like, wait a second, that's it? Like, no more of that character? Like, mm. we're, we're moving on from that? I just, I wished maybe there is a few more scenes with Piter as well. So, you have any thoughts on yeah. how the new movie dealt with Mentats? I, I, I couldn't agree more with um, we needed more Piter. He was perfectly cast, I think, and I think one of my first comments to you after the, the movie was, I, I didn't I didn't buy Thufir's character uh, casting. I, I just, it didn't, not that that uh, actor, I forget his name, is, is, isn't a good actor. I just didn't feel like he was the right, he, he's not, definitely not what I pictured, right, when I was reading the book. And, and you're right, it, it doesn't explain a lot, but that one scene does tell you a lot about, okay, this is his role, right? He's kind of the advisor, he is the, the secondhand man. And that was one of my wishes, I think, if, if they were to make changes or, or why I wish there could be more movies or more parts to this than just one and two, which I assume is what's happening, um, is that that happens for a lot of characters, right? Not only the Mentats, but I thought the Doctors, right? Like Dr. Yui, that was one of my, mm -hmm. it was a, a smaller gripe, was the significance in the background of his role in the family and um right imperial conditioning right yeah uh, i felt like they downplayed that a little bit or maybe not downplayed but didn't didn't explain the significance of his role in the family like it yeah. was supposed to be almost impossible for him to betray house atreides right mm -hmm. but he did and I, I felt like his character development was not developed enough for us to to be like oh not dr yui you know right. like it was just like oh okay this guy um, and I, I kind of felt the same way with the, the Mentats where there's, there's so much to it, right? With the man versus machine beforehand right. and now through, you know, years of just civilization, right? That we now have these folks who are basically computers themselves and they are the Mentats and they are, they're just advanced in, in their logical thinking. And that also plays into, um, I think Paul's visions, uh, right? I kind of... The more I looked into it, I realized, okay, maybe he's not having like superhuman visions of the future. He's calculating mm. all the possible outcomes with his Mentat-like ability and putting together the most 
it's kind of like a Doctor Strange thing, right? He's he's looking at all the potential outcomes, and this is one is is most likely to occur. And we see that his visions aren't reality. There's actually it's close to what happens. Um, yeah. uh, and, and you know maybe that doesn't my 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 thinking here doesn't account for seeing people he hasn't met yet, like Jonas. But right, that that's kind of how I the more I was reading up on it, I was like, oh, I think he's. The spice is allowing his mentat abilities because he's trained that way to maybe it's like a, a mentat on steroids, right? Where he's he's calculating every possible scenario and saying, okay, this is most likely what's going to happen. That's kind of how I saw that. So I wish they kind of dove into to that and his training uh, a little bit more. I didn't even think about that. That's really smart. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, you get that context in the book that he's been trained as both Benny Gesserit and mentat but they don't really talk about that in the movie. You just see him being trained in a bunch of ways. Uh, yeah, it's both a strength, but also a weakness. It's a Achilles heel of the movie. I, again, almost a perfect movie, but that's if we're mm-hmm. nitpicking here uh, yeah, as a book yeah. fan. That's what you definitely find. And as someone who's read the book, you know that he's being influenced by the spice, but also know that he has Mentat training. So that perfectly you know, aligns mm-hmm. to create these possible visions of the future. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I think a way that they could have done that a little stronger is if they had another moment where the eyes rolled back in their heads, because correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that Piter has a moment like that. Right. And so it's a little bit of a failure. Just his introduction. Yeah. Piter does? Yeah. Because okay. when they're in the uh, the steam bath. Okay. Well, yeah, I was, I said, correct me if I'm wrong, because you've seen it five times. So, <laughs> so I am. if you say that it happens, then that's good. But, but I missed it on the first. Yeah. So maybe yeah, if so they had I. like one or two more of those moments, just to like make the connection that these two people are from the same clan or, or have the same abilities. Training, yeah. Then I yeah. think that that, if they want to push the story along and like just not touch the, um, what are they called? Like the wars, the... The machine wars but leary and jihad sure yes thank you <laughs> um if they if they don't want to get into that which i i understand just make that connection a little bit clearer because that for me knowing the background that they're mentats was like oh that's so cool like that really visually tells you that they're calculating something yeah and i yeah. loved that i just wanted a little bit more of that like connection um because if you haven't read the book i don't think that that's very clear no, totally agree. And, and I think that's just, yeah, we're, we're being nitpicky because, again, two, two and a half hours, you, you, yeah. there's no like, oh, we could have cut that scene and put more Mentat in. It's like, no, you need yeah. just another movie to, yeah. to fit all that in. And, and that's what I, that's why I'm, I, I geek out on this is because of all that kind of background and cool, like, oh, cool. Like that, and that, that's what I think I meant by fictional without being overly fictional. It's like, that's, you know, it, it's, it's possible, right? Uh, with uh, where humans could get to a point where they are human calculators. I mean, we we have people like that in our society now. They don't you know roll their eyes back in their head like that. But who knows? Like that that could happen, right? It it could be something. It's not completely out of the realm of possibility where they're just you know it's it's not AI, but a, a person who's adapted their mind and, and thinking abilities to just this one purpose. But like you said, yeah, through fear, it's like, okay, his one job is to catch <laughs> mistakes, <Yeah. laughs> spies, assassins, and yeah, he fails that. So, yeah, I agree, agree there. And I think uh, they, they skipped over that pretty pretty quickly. 
Yeah, Tim, I like your point about how it's believe a lot of these things are believable because we have like the kernels of those ideas going on now. And something that Danny and I talked about when we were guest hosts on a different podcast called the Super 70 podcast, which hasn't dropped yet, but it will next year, I think. In a month. We, or yeah. In, okay, yeah. So we talked about how this movie and book are, do a really good job at sort of um, expressing scale because it not only physical yes. scale, but also like timeline scale. And I think it's really cool. Like you're saying, like we have AI and really, really advanced examples of how that could affect not only machinery or like technology, but also humans. And so it's really cool to think because this happens like 50,000 years in the future, that those mm -hmm. kernels of ideas that are happening now could sort of expand exponentially and then in 50,000 years we could have an AI yeah. takeover or something like that and I just I think it's really something that I really like about this book and movie is scale and just the sheer mastery or, or grandeur of the sandworms and the desert and the difference between Arrakis and Caladan like all that stuff is just I don't think that I've ever really come into contact with anything, sci-fi or not, that expresses size in this yeah. way. It's really I think, impressive. I think Denny V does a masterful job at just shots of <clears throat> right um, travel, <laughs> shots, yes. shots of, of transportation, right? Because you have that slow motion scene, which is actually one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is just them leaving Cal Caladan. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. Just them leaving because it was it was mostly the score, but yeah. it was yeah. it was the slow motion shot of their transport ship coming out of the water, and you're mm -hmm. like, okay, he's making just a ship appear, a pretty awesome scene, and then the next scene is that massive ship and the size of an ant coming out of a, the transport yes. ship, and you're yeah. like, oh man, all right, exactly. so how big is that thing? Um, yeah. And you're like, how does that exist without AI? Like how, and that was another piece they, they didn't touch on was the, the spacing guild, right? Mm, um, yeah. <clears throat> and there's, there's a whole, I want, I want to learn more about that, right? How they use the spice to m manipulate their minds so they can bend time travel or, or bend space and time and navigate yeah. the universe, right? There's, there's a whole movie in that by itself, but you're right. The, the his, his use of, um, the transitional scenes and showing the immense scale of these ships and these planets in the universe. And then you throw Hans Zimmer in there and it's, it's right. a masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah. Truly epic. And that a lot of credit goes to Greg Frazier, the DP oh, yeah. who is the DP on rogue one. I, which mm -hmm. I know we have differing opinions. Um, on right, the I have the right opinion, that. you have the wrong opinion. <laughs> right. But the best thing Rogue One does is show the scale of, well, the Death Star, but also other ships and like the ATATs yeah. and stuff like that. And Denis wisely used Greg Frazier's talents for this film. Also, he's been compared in many ways to like a Stanley Kubrick who in like 2001, A Space Odyssey, how the scenes of space travel on that are similar. They're very slow. They focus on size as opposed to whip bang action. And it, they have a similar haunting vocal chorus too when ships are coming out of the sky, like ants, you're saying, out of the big um, Imperial transport ship. That's one of my predictions that's going to happen in the sequel. I think they are going to show 
time and space folding um, and the big imperial I was going to say that too. When he brought up the space and guild, I was like, since they're going to talk more, they're going to focus more about the backstory of the emperor and why he is working with House Harkonnen to destroy House Arrakis. I, th- I think maybe they'll try to touch on that more in the second one. Um, that's just a little prediction, I think, that yeah. I, I have. But I, I sure think hope it's, so. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really interesting to bring up 2001, too, because if you think about it, one of the reasons that makes the book successful at sort of making that scale of time really, I guess, conceptual for humans, because I think, like, we have a really hard time, like, saying, like, 50,000 years and and conceptualizing that. Like, our brains have a really difficult time like computing that far in advance mm-hmm. but something that the book does really well is having those those like books of princess Irulan sort of scattered through so you see that there are people in the future that are still learning from this legend almost i think that shows a really good like push through time and it's really smart because if you think about like how space or how like time travels through space physically it's really cool to get that sort of like echo between like the people in the future and the people in the past yeah and how it's still like affecting people's actions i don't know that's pretty i don't know that's like a mind-bending concept (laughs) and it's a concept similar to isaac asimov's foundation Hmm. about how especially dynasties and governments how the sins of our past will bleed into the future Hmm. Mm-hmm. And that can even happen with positive stuff, like House Atreides being this noble house who is ruled for the most part fairly and loyally, but their growing appeal threatens other governments that are in their, their same system. So that's another thing you had talked about how closely this is to real life. And I love how Dune, it's very political and, and the spice equates to oil as Dr. Flory talked about, but it's not mm-hmm. too on the nose. You could enjoy it as the space adventure, right? There's nothing more yeah. cringy than a sci-fi story being like, this is what it's really about. Like this is about <laughs> this is problems you have to deal with now. Like I I yeah. want to have my cake and eat it too. I want to have a discussion about how the world revolves around the commodification and economy of oil, but let's also have a fun romp yeah, in the desert yeah. with some laser guns. Like, yeah. let's do that yeah, too. Yeah. So. Because yeah, the the implications of the element of spice is way different than oil, right? It's like, yeah. oh, this is this is an element that is so valuable that you know, yeah, planets are fighting over it, or you know, it, it controls it controls travel and can bend space and time and is yeah it prolongs life i mean and again it's who knows if that that could exist it can yeah. if, you know that could exist on another planet right because we don't know so yeah. that's that's why i like it um things like that things like the the mentas things like the voice right i think you mentioned yeah. this really briefly is like the yeah. using the voice is pretty much a toned down version of the force yeah um which i, I think lucas got inspiration from Um, but it's not so far fetched. You're not levitating things with your mind. You're not controlling, you're, you're, you're using a certain tone and cadence that could affect someone else's brain into doing what you want, which is like, oh, that, what if that could happen? Cause yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. I like, we kind of talked about earlier, but like, I think that Frank Herbert did a lot of thinking about how it could functionally be possible in 50 Mm -hmm. years because Lady Jessica does a lot of that, like, 
listening to people to try to figure out it's almost like a hypnotism that she can pull yeah. out every once in a while because she does a really good job listening to, and figuring out how to manipulate people and that's one of the things that she's teaching paul is like you have to be aware at all times to pick up these really subtle things that you can then use against someone so it is almost like a it's not it's not so much of a like a power or, or like a like a supernatural power it's more of a like a practical thing that yeah i don't know yeah like could somehow be possible in fifty thousand years yeah. just an, an advanced level of cognizance and awareness that yeah. you're using to mm -hmm. to manipulate someone of a lesser yeah, yeah. <laughs> iq right so i i, I really enjoyed all of that and i think i think that's where just you can't can't fit all that in the movie, right? Can't fit all that background. So right. but they, they do a, as good a job as any in explaining that. So, right. Or yeah. showing that. Well, you had mentioned the scene of them leaving Caladan as your favorite mm. scene. Any other favorite scenes that you wanted to discuss before we get into the sequel? Ooh, favorite, favorite scenes. That's a good one. I haven't really thought about that. I, I mean, any scene with Duncan Idaho, obviously. Yeah, um, yeah, boy. The 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 Sardaukar scene on Seleucia Secundus, yeah. I loved uh, because that that whole I love a good elite army fighting force concept. I love that in any movie I see, right? When there's just like, oh, they're, they're feared throughout the universe, and it's it's more more just myth than reality, right? Because you yeah. see the Fremen are better, the Duncan and yeah. the Atreides are better. So they're they're not the the most elite assassins in the world, but they have this just aura around them. And when they showed the Seleucus Secundus, which is one of the coolest names ever, um, yeah. and the, the the they show the planet, they show the that awesome Sardaukar chant and the the throat singing and their voice, their voice is awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know they're putting the blood of those guys who are roped up on the, like everything about that scene. I was like, this is everything I wanted the Sardaukar introduction to be. And uh, I did. I looked it up. Uh, they do have a club remix of the Sardaukar chant, <laughs> no which makes for a great running song. Just <laughs> you're welcome now. Look it up on YouTube. It's pretty. It's pretty great because it has the uh, it has the that lady singing the Toshiba before yeah. right and then it goes into yeah. the it goes into the Sardaukar chant but they remixed it into a dub song so that's that's pretty amazing that was <laughs> that was probably one of my favorite scenes and I've watched it several times just because I, I I love the introduction of of something that it's, it's just again it's it's just like mythical kind of their their presence um mm -hmm. Trying to think of any other scenes. I really, I really like the the fight scene between Paul and Jonas. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I loved uh, what I loved about it was I loved uh, Cheney's introduction there, right? Because I thought Zendaya did a great job. At she's she has kind of the the mannerisms of the Fremen, and that um, Stilgar kind of showed beforehand, and that she was already, she was like prepping for Paul's death. Yeah. Right? I, I rewatched it a couple times, and I loved it, right? She had like three or four comments yeah. where she was like, I'd like you to use this Chris knife. It would be an honor to die with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jamis is a good good fighter. He won't let you suffer. Yeah. Um, it'll be an honor to die this way in this fighting. So, And, and then, yeah. you know, it was just like, I, I, I thought that was great. Mm -hmm. um, and she said it just... Just hey, this is what's going to happen, and this is the way. And yeah, I thought that was fantastic. So mm -hmm. those, I think, those are my my favorite scenes of the book. Yeah. Do you have any favorite 
favorite scenes? Do we talk about our favorite scenes, Annie? A few, yeah. I think we share a favorite scene, which was Paul talking to his father by oh, the Atreides gravestones. That That's was my one. favorite one. Because it, yeah. it's perfect because it is there for exposition, but it actually is like a heartfelt moment between father and son. Mm -hmm. uh, and especially in the sci-fi genre, it's just a trope that the father is aloof or abusive or just not there. So to see that loving relationship and also have it serve as fun world building, meaningful world building, I think is so great. Well, yeah, what I really liked about it too was I think it really hammered home that idea of how much they're leaving behind on Caladan because I've never really... I guess when I when I think about people dying and being buried, I know a lot of people want to be like returned to where they grew up or spread on the beach if you're um, cremated and you felt like you loved beach when you were alive, stuff like that. But I've never really understood that because I just I'm like, well, you're dead. Like, so mm -hmm. what? Where you end up? But I think that was really great in the movie to show like how much they care about their ancestors and how they can go back and see like all of these graves i just thought that that like you were saying it's great world building but it also just shows like what a sacrifice it is to leave that family fieldy and it's even sadder i think too when you find out that the duke is sort of destined to die on this different planet yeah because mm -hmm. he'll probably never get back to be buried right. with his ancestors so i think it's like a really it it serves a lot of purposes and it's just like i think it just deepens the tragedy that duke leto dies where he does and how he does yeah yeah but yeah for favorite scenes i mean all the action is just so breathtaking it's kind of a cop-out to say whenever people are fighting mm -hmm. there's ex explosions but i mean denny v specializes in these awesome the true definition of awesome to instill awe in you you look yeah. and i'm just like want to cry i'm like is this the best thing i've ever seen in my yeah, life yeah. uh but a scene that I think not enough people talk about that I love both, it's my favorite piece of score next to the leaving Caladan sequence, is the first sequence when the Imperial Guard first come down to Caladan and they have a, a voice of the Emperor. The Emperor is not there, but they do have someone in his place mm -hmm. played by Benjamin Clementine as he's the Herald of the Change. I love, oh, I forgot about yeah, that I love the, yeah. the round egg ship that it comes out. You can barely see it coming out of the Imperial transport ship. And when it enters the atmosphere, it just absolutely covers the screen. You see the size of it. That mm -hmm. also tells you the size of the Imperial ship that was just there. But I love the score during that scene. I love how it's ominous, how the whole time House Atreides is being gifted a new planet but everyone is super serious and there's tension throughout the scene when Duke Leto is putting his ring and sealing the contract. You know, the stage is set that mm -hmm. this gift is not actually a gift. It is right. a trap. Yeah. So uh, in the, there's, yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more with that. That is the, the tension in the air of that scene is fantastic. And, and I, I watched this, this video, which I, I think you would enjoy. And it gave me a, a totally new appreciation for the cinematography of the movie. It was, it was how Dune's visual effects are so much better than most movies out there. Mm -hmm. And um, it really breaks down how, even though there's so much CGI and so much, you know, 
wild visuals in this movie, it still feels real. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like a green screen. And they they kind of broke down or he broke down in the video, like all these all these different things about like explosions and light effects, right? Where um, how the lighting on the the, the faces and um, like, OK, so, for example, right in most movies, when an explosion goes off in the background, if it's CGI, the main character, the main hero is, is still lit which is not how it would work if you were there mm-hmm. and i went back and watched this and it was incredible to see when when the the harkonnens are attacking and explosions are going off everybody goes to silhouette mm-hmm. and you can't you can't see them right so you, you feel like you're on the battlefield the explosion goes off this bright light and all you see is the explosion and, and a bunch of silhouettes running around it's not light goes off the main characters are still front and center um, I, th- I thought that was that was brilliant, right? Um, and I looked into it, and they also use instead of green screens, they used sand colored green screens, back screens. Oh, so lighting really? lighting on the the ships on the 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 actors and actresses was different than normal, right? It it doesn't look like green screen. I thought I thought that was brilliant. Um, That's really cool. Yeah, and then they the last thing they did was all their camera angles were realistic angles where it's easy to create a sequence where a camera couldn't actually follow the action happening, right? In a superhero movie or something. Whereas this, everything is linear. Um, it's just, again, it, it felt real. And I, I watched that and got a whole new appreciation just for how I'm like, oh yeah, the whole movie, there were so many instances where they used probably green screens or, or tan screens, should I say. But it felt like we were there in the desert, and I, and and they used something like eighteen tons of sand, actual sand. This movie. What? So so when when in those vast scenes, right where there's a CGI background, it kind of the the blowing sand and wind distorted that view and made it feel more realistic. So I just I I was like, oh man, yeah, they they did such a good job at making this feel real. And I know CGI has come so far in visual effects, but it, it, even even with that, this movie felt like I was on Arrakis, right? And I thought that was super impressive. Thanks for those fun facts. Yeah. I didn't know any of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about, because yeah, the human eye can sense that type of stuff and the mm-hmm. brain subconsciously will... Uncanny Valley. Yeah, will tell you that this is not real. Like... Godzilla versus Kong. I watched that on yeah. HBO Max too. And it's just nonsense. It's white noise because people are running from Godzilla or Kong destroying buildings. And but the lighting, as you're saying, stays the same on their faces and on their bodies. And you can tell they're not in that environment, which mm-hmm. the opposite is true here. It actually feels like there's a camera there and the camera reacts how it would, you know, with flares documentary rather than a lit yes exactly yeah yeah so and and it was like it was cgi but they're they're doing it in a way that makes it feel like you're there which is super impressive Mm -hmm. and the last one the sand i thought that whenever the sandworms was coming up and the sand started to vibrate they had these giant metal plates underneath the the sand set up right in there in their screen yeah and they just they shook the metal plates so that the sand would vibrate and the people would fall into the sand. I thought that was brilliantly done. That's so cool. Um, so like really really cool effects to make it seem like these giant worms are coming up and the sand's shifting and they're sucking it down. So 
yeah, it was just, I, I gained a whole new appreciation for an already amazing movie just with all these, hey, we're going that extra step to make this feel like it's it's real. Yes. And what's what's amazing is the, the budget was what, 100 and, $165 million? Five, yeah. Right, which is, which is not even in the top 100 highest budget movies. So you're thinking, what, what are these right. other movies doing? Like, if, it yeah. feels... You could have told me this, it costs $500 million to make this movie. And I'd be like, yeah, that checks out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But for them to do it on a, a lower budget with this cast, like, Denny V. I know. Denny V, man. <laughs> that is nuts to think about. Like, for the level of movie that they're making, Blockbuster, yeah. this is technically a low budget film in that yeah. echelon of, of movies. Which is, that is nuts bonkers. to think about. Has the budget for the second part come out yet? That's oh, no. Announced. No, not yet. Okay. I imagine it'll be bigger. But speaking of the sequel, let's get mm. to that. Because we, yeah. <laughs> we have talked I'm over so the amount. We could, to share we, these choices. We could, we could keep talking, yeah. So let's set the stage. The sequel was greenlit the Tuesday after Dune was released. So Warner Brothers was true to their word. They were going to take into consideration the HBO Max streaming numbers along with the box office. Mm -hmm. Denis Villeneuve is back. That was always going to be the case if they greenlit a a sequel. He's already finished with the script. Coming out in 2023. He is? Ooh, I didn't know that. That's and excellent news. Based on the article that I sent both of you, Hans Zimmer was already composing pieces for part two as he was yeah. composing pieces for part one. It's, so it sounds like he was <laughs> composing before the, he was even filming the movie, right? It sounds yeah, like this is like exactly absolutely. what he wanted to do. Absolutely. Which is so great. we've got Denis Villeneuve and yeah. Hans Zimmer back. And Hans Zimmer didn't score Tenet just so he could score doom yeah. <laughs> so that shows his so commitment. fuck you christopher nolan yeah, yeah. he's worked with, hashtag over you right he's worked with christopher nolan his entire <laughs> career but he's just like no i i'm sorry i can't do tenant for you so and now ludwig goranson is christopher nolan's guy he's scoring his next movie uh on oppenheimer anyways back to dune so nolan holds Z- grudges yeah yeah <laughs> zimmer's back greg frazier is back he's probably gonna win best cinematography next year at the oscars so yeah. if he doesn't As win he should. yeah this year he'll it's win rigged. he'll win for the sequel <laughs> um yeah, yeah. The, the whole team is back so dune part two i, I wanted to open with this question how do you think Dune Part 2 is going to open? What's going to be the opening scene? Oh, how is it going to open? Interesting. Um, I have just an see, idea. They left, they left off. Okay, yeah. Let's, let's, wait, I want to, I want to set this, this scene and then I want to hear your yeah. take, Laura. So they had just, he had just killed Jameis. Is yeah. it Jameis or Jamis? Jameis? I say um, Jameis. I also say Chani. But... Chani, yeah. Um, well, how they do it in the audiobook, they say the main guy says Chaney, but when it's the actors doing it, they say Chani. Chani. And in the movie, yeah. it's Chani. Yeah. I just think okay. Chani sounds nicer. And I yeah. guess Stilgar, Stilgar kind of says Jamis, or Jamis, even though the yeah. reading said uh, audiobooks at Jamis. So so we'll, we'll, we'll say Jamis and Chani, so it's the both the awe instead of the A. Um, yeah. So they're leading them towards the what, C-H- Their Siege. Tabor. C-H um, Tabor, yeah. Chani says this is only the beginning. Fade to black. What's your take, Laura? Yeah, I so I think that they shuffle really smartly a one scene that comes before the fight with Jameis. 
And that's when Lady Jessica figures out, spoilers, everybody, if you're <laughs> listening, you can skip ahead. But Lady Jessica figures out that the Baron Harkonnen is her father. And I feel like that's going to be the opening, or at least really close to the beginning of part two. Nice. So, I think that's gonna... wait, sorry, they're, they're, you're saying the scene where she finds out the Baron's her, her, fa- her father? Yeah, that comes right before the fight between Jameis and Paul. Oh, and I okay, think in the book, that they yeah. In the book, right. So I think that they really smartly shuffled that out of the first movie because that is a, kind of like a big mic drop. Like, that's a pretty big deal. And so I think that they didn't want to open that door before the second movie. So I think that they're going to mm. really quickly sort of, like reveal that at the very beginning maybe maybe not the first scene but maybe very closely yeah to the first scene very close interesting yeah i, I that that would, that would be good um do you have any thoughts dan i'm trying i'm still i, I haven't thought yes. about that. that's really good i have two thoughts i think it. either it's going to open with another so they're going to have another message with kind of a sardaukar chant that oh, blah, 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 dreams their messages <laughs> from the deep and then it's immediately either going to cut straight to the emperor mm-hmm. in his throne doing some like depraved shit. Orgy? <laughs> uh, not, not, <laughs> not, not that depraved, but doing yeah. something like yeah. executing a prisoner to really set the scene. Because the whole first movie, you, you're hearing about the emperor and his influence looms over the entire story, but you never see him. I think immediately they're just going to open on it to kind of like mic drop mm. it away to take your breath away. I was, yeah. Or, I, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Or, or. It's going to open. There'll be a chant, a saying the scene, <laughs> and then a soft rumble. Oh, I know what you're And then say, you yeah. hear. Doom. A thumper. And opens on a thumper mm. immediately. Paul right. brings out his hooks. <laughs> And he's going to ride the sandworm for the first time. Yeah, that's that's so, a really good guess. I, yeah, that's, that's yeah. my prediction. Ooh, that would, both of those both of those would be great. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really Let's curious roll. to see how how they're going to show them riding the sandworms because they've they've established that they come up from underneath, right in the movie, mm-hmm. whereas. To ride them, they actually like wait until they. Pa- I, I, f- I forget how they they ride them, but I'm I'm curious to see how they will do that. I, I can't wait to see how they do that, um, especially after going and watching how <laughs> how they did it in Lynch's version. Um, yeah, I I was yeah. thinking I I really like the idea of the emperor. I was thinking maybe they'll they'll open it with the Baron, maybe Raban and Fade, or or the Baron and Fade, Fade Ralta mm-hmm. introduce Fade Ralta talk about his plans for putting fade on the throne or talk about how he's part of the emperor's plans and then jump to the emperor and show and introduce him so it's kind of like a one-two punch of here's fade ralta here's the emperor and there's this much deeper scheming and and uh, kind of like chess playing going on here i also can't wait to get to both of those introductions uh you know in in part two so i I hope they do both of them right away (laughs) yeah Yeah. that's a good point yeah we're gonna have to meet fade ralph though like pretty early Mm -hmm. that's gonna be when does when does uh count fenring come into play because he's oh oh okay i take it back i take it back 
I want the opening scene to be the gladiator scene, the Fade Ralph the gladiator right. scene. With yeah. so we get we we get Fade, we get Henring, we get Lady Margot, and a gladiator scene all in one, and then maybe a jump. That's what I wanted to open with. Absolutely. If they nice. don't do that scene, nice. I'm going to be so upset. Oh, they have they one hundred percent are going to do yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, we have five openings now. Yeah. Five <laughs> possible openings. So hopefully we'll put our money in the right place. Maybe we'll have to bet yeah. like right before the movie comes out, we'll all put some money down on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love it. We'll have a dune pool. That'd oh, be fun. Yeah, cool. Excellent. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, listeners, if you want to join our dune pool, uh, just <laughs> yeah. enter your own um, opening. Venmo me. And- yeah. yeah, Venmo 20 bucks with your guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, let's get into the sequel. So what are you most excited? uh, I guess we kind of maybe have already answered that, but what do you want to see out of the sequel? And we can also talk about what maybe we want to change or what we want them to omit. Uh, Yeah, let's just open the floor. Yeah, I mean, definitely, yeah, sure. Definitely most excited about the the casting choice to see who they, I mean, and we'll find out beforehand, right? I guess so, we won't know. But I, I really want to see kind of what we were talking about earlier and, and how what, what they covered that they didn't cover in the first movie. And, and I think there's there's so many different ways they could go with this uh, in terms of diving into the Spacing Guild, in terms of diving into the the plot. And, and I'm really curious how they'll portray that. I'm also curious to see if, if they follow the book true to form because I, I had this one kind of thought where I didn't I didn't love how Raban gets put back on Arrakis to fail, basically, right? He kind of sends him back, cuts mm-hmm. him off, and, and, and then he's like, oh, Fade will come in and be the savior. If I were to change one thing, let me put it this way, if I were to change kind of a, a plot line, I would have it where like Fade goes and takes over um, and and the Baron kind of builds him up as this, uh, what do they call him, like the Na the Na Baron or, or the the you know Paul's opponent basically for for the the Quizad Hadarak and the the throne, um, and they kind of like build him up and they're kind of like they're playing this kind of chess match of their own on Arrakis, mm-hmm. and and we we kind of like tensions build between them to that final battle scene where Paul ends up yeah. overtaking him and taking the throne, right? Because it's kind of like fades there and Paul's off in Arrakis battling and growing with the Fremen. And then it's just, okay, he takes the throne. Whereas I, I, I feel like he would, he would have more of an impact if, if, okay, Raban's just this, you know, muscle and let's put fade down there. And he kind of builds, builds up this worthy opponent, to Paul throughout hit Paul's yeah. rise. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I, f- I felt like that would, would be better instead of, Hey, I hope let's cut him off. And he, he fails. Cause I, it's just, you know, the, the prophecy of, of Muad'Dib isn't, isn't manufactured, right? He fought alongside the Fremen and he is this authentic and great leader and, and kills the other guy who, who could have been that. Um, I just, I, I feel like that could be, if, if I were to change one thing, that's what I would do. I think. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And to add on to that, they should also have the beast's Raban's death on screen, as opposed to just some person saying, "Oh, the beast Raban is dead." Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I definitely yeah. I definitely want more Dave Bautista. I'd always want yes. more Dave Bautista. But yeah, I, I think Fade is the real character we want. And to show his cunningness, to show his his significance in this whole plot. And again, I, I always saw him as the opponent to Paul, but he was always off world or just, you know, doing weird things on Gideon Prime and it's just he, he could he could still plot to take down the Baron himself from afar, I feel like, um, instead of just being there to take over when Raban fails or you know, presses it. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I was thinking. And Tim, that change with Fade would make more sense as to why the Harkonnens fail so harshly as they do, because the animosity between the Beast and Fade would create a weakness within their own system yeah. that Paul could exploit maybe the Harkonnens are a little bit disorganized because they have essentially two rulers trying for the throne. So that's actually a very, a change totally. I want to see now too. You sold me. I would definitely <laughs> want to see that. Yeah. Get Denny um, on the phone. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just super excited for more Chani as well. I also think Zendaya was great in the role and is just a great actress um, in her own right. The sandworms. I mean, I give Hans Zimmer the Oscar now for that that swelling score when it's Paul. It's going to be called the sandworm theme. Yeah, yeah. When mm-hmm. Paul's riding the, where I mean, whether or not it's the opening of the movie or not, it's going to be just an incredible <laughs> scene. <laughs> so oh, yeah. can't wait yeah. for that. I'm excited. Whereas the book was very sophisticated and it's about these very lofty themes uh, and philosophy and ecology and all that stuff. I think just from a sci-fi action standpoint, the ending is very downplayed. The Fremen overtake the Harkonnens and the Emperor pretty easily. So I think just extending that action and yeah. showing it, yeah. <laughs> showing right. more of it, right. um, yeah. is uh, they're definitely going to do that. I mean, they're, they're not going to make the ending as quick as it is in the book. So, right. or, or at least the siege back on uh, Arakeen. Uh, they're definitely going to extend that. And, oh man, I mean, just thinking about the sequences, I think it's going to be like a Lord of the Rings situation. So I don't think Dune is going to win Best Picture at um, the Oscars next year. But I think Dune Part 2 is going to pull uh, Return of the King where it's like it's being awarded for all of the movies. And so in right, Dune's case, right. it's being awarded for both. I get part one and part two. Interesting. Uh, well, that's, cause, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that, that totally makes sense. And I think that's that's one of the not not downfalls, is, isn't the right word. It's one of, one of, one of my very few issues with the movie is that it, it needs a part two. Yeah. Right? Like it, it needs it. I'm... I, I thought it was, again, almost perfect movie, but if Dune Part 2 didn't come, I would be devastated. Yeah. And then yeah. I wouldn't, I would, I, I don't know if I'd revisit the movie because I would, uh, I'm, well, I guess I would, but um, you know what I mean? It it really, it really needs that Part 2 and, and that's kind of like, that's where it falls short is that would this be a standalone movie kind of like, you know, the, the first Star Wars or the first Lord of the Rings where it's, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of works as a movie on its own. I, I think it really needs needs that part two to be successful. Yeah. So look at me. I'm already I'm already hyping up the Oscars for the second movie. <laughs> yeah. We haven't even gotten to the first one. <laughs> yeah. Oscars I know. 2024. 
oh man that's yeah. so uh, far away that is so you'll get the movie before that that's just yes. Oscars. Yeah. So, right yeah um, is it december 23 is that when it comes out um, or is it uh, uh october yeah. october 23rd. it's going to be october 23 Ugh. Yep, right. and it's filming this summer, so summer 2022. Well, cross your fingers that the Omicron variant doesn't overtake the world again and no, shut yeah. production down. Cross your fingers, because that, yeah. <laughs> that could okay. change the time of uh, things. It but. could. Um, well, I'm ready to drop what I'm excited for in the next movie. Casting? <laughs> no, what I'm excited oh, to see. <laughs> excuse me, I forgot. I haven't gone yet. We haven't even discussed, yes. Um, okay, so I have a quick one, but I'm just excited to see how they integrate the female characters at the very end, because we also talk about this on the Super 70 podcast, but the thing that really drew me back into the end of the book, because I do think that, like you mentioned earlier, the action kind of nosedives a little bit by the end. Uh, the thing that really pulled me back into the story was how the women have that conversation at the very end. And they talk about how they're not necessarily the agitators of the action, but they are the ones who record it. And they're the ones who can decide what gets remembered going forward and what gets mm -hmm. integrated into like the history of this, this family and this empire sort of thing. So I really enjoy that at the very end. So I'm interested to see how that plays out and how much they're going to give. I think Denis did a really good job giving the female characters a lot more agency in the first movie than I think they ever really have in the book. And to be honest, like Lady Jessica's character is a little bit annoying to me because every time we see her, she's literally just talking about how perfect Paul is or how like, right. just like, I think the characters are supposed to be like this, like they're, ra they're rational to a fault. And I get that, but I think that it kind of makes for a one dimensional character in her case. Um, and I think that they do a really good job at just like modernizing that character a little more and giving her a lot more depth. So I think it'll be interesting. Like we're, we're going to be revisiting, we're going to be revisiting Chani and Jessica and Princess Irulan will eventually come in and Aaliyah is going to eventually come in. So I'm excited to see what these Ooh. women have to offer to the plot. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, and I'm, I'm really excited to see how they portray Aaliyah. Yeah. Right? This, and that probably my toughest casting pick. Same. Um, mm -hmm. You know, how do you, how do you have a two or three year old, yeah. Done because you know you can have a twenty-five-year-old Timothy Chalamet portray a teenager, yeah. but you can't have a ten-year-old portraying a two-year-old. Right. right. The age I, have, I feel like I have a lot of creepy Google searches right now, like four-year-old <laughs> child actors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're put on a list. I was, yeah. Seriously, I I feel like I might have been put on a list. But who's it was the hottest two-year-old actor <laughs> right now? I know who's blowing up on it. <laughs> Actually, it was really creepy. I find I found a lot of instagram and youtube quote-unquote child stars and i was like this is gross like this is just hmm. like parents yeah. exploiting their children yeah. for monetary gain but anyway that's something that we can do that segues really beautifully into our dream casts yes. for this whole movie so we have a list of people that we'll go through yeah the characters mm -hmm. that we assume are going to show up in the sequel do you want that we go? haven't seen yet do you want to go by like least to most important? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, those characters are Count Fenring and Lady Margot Fenring, Aaliyah, who we mentioned, Fade Raltha, Princess Irulan, 
and the Padishah Emperor Shaddam Karina the Fourth. <laughs> oh. oh boy! So yeah, are we probably the Fenrings or the? I would say they're the least. What's What's great is the Fenrings are probably the least, but they they could really, again, as I've done my research, they could really play a really significant role. I think, and there's there's a lot of backstory to like Count Fenring that I think I missed right about how he was kind of supposed to be the Kwisatz Haderach, but didn't yeah. end up being it. And and he's really the only one who, if, if someone were to assassinate Paul, right, he was the guy and he chose yeah. not to. So I, I think this is, it's it's the least flashy on the li- this list, but it needs to be cast perfectly because it's a, it's a, it's a big role. Okay. So I have, this is just a little bit of a sidebar, but I have a a theory about that. And it's kind of proved in the later movies with Harry Potter, but Neville could have been the Harry Potter if Harry Potter had either died or Voldemort had misunderstood or just like interpreted (laughs) the um, prophecy in a different way. I think it's a really smart thing. Like, cause Neville has yeah. been there the whole time. And there are a lot of like, I think subtle nods to the point that you can figure out that Neville is supposed to be that, that stand in. Um, yeah. huh. And they do that yeah. with the seventh movie too. They kind of like, they leave that, that last Horcrux for Neville to destroy. So yeah, yeah that's, it's that's really similar. I, I wanted to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just give a yeah. shout out to that. Yeah. Subplot. <laughs> shout no, out Tim, to Longbottom. I, yeah. I had the exact <laughs> same experience. The first time I read the book, I forgot who Count Penring was. And then I was reading it the second time and I had no recollection of the character. I'm excited to share who I um, yeah. And then while listening to, yeah, the, the whole plot, I, I don't know what I was doing when I first read it, but again, I, it completely threw me out. So yeah. Let's start off. Tim, guess first. What are your casting choices or choice uh, for Count Fenring? So, so Count Fenring, I had, I had two, I had two. And then for each one, I had two to three people. So I thought uh, my first one was Christoph Waltz. Oh, I think Christoph Waltz would, would crush that role. Right. He's just after Inglorious Bastards. I'm like, he would so pull off that like genius, evil, Mm-hmm. kind of thinker um so he's he's my number one my number two to to go a little different route would be uh jake gyllenhaal okay oh. he already you know already yes. worked on enemy and prisoners with denis so that's yes. my, my more of like i could see him kind of be be that role but christoph would be my like number one jake that's gyllenhaal number two <laughs> Yes. Can I have a delicious glass of milk? Yeah. Glass um, of your delicious milk. Yeah. Oh, did you see Prisoners, by the way, Tim? Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I haven't. I, I haven't seen Enemy. I've seen Prisoners though. Enemy. Ooh. Enemy's a trip. Yeah. I, I recommend it, but it, we recommend yeah. it. I like yes, it a lot. it's yeah. very weird. Uh, okay. Cool. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal could crush it. He's very relevant in the news today with mm-hmm. Taylor Swift's mm-hmm. new song. Um, yeah, or not new, re-released. So yeah, great picks. Gosh, Thank you. It both Thank you. both could work. I yeah. I love Christoph. Let's hear yours. Yeah. Do you want to go or me? Go ahead. Okay. All right, go ahead. I'm very excited to announce the new Count Fenring in June 2022. <laughs> I went with Riz Ahmed because okay. I oh, heck love yeah. everything mm-hmm. that I've seen him in, and mm-hmm. I think that he is also a really dynamic actor that can pull off a lot of really deep 
thinkers. <laughs> and yeah. um, Variety did a profile on him recently, and he's just a really, really smart actor. Like, I think that he brings a lot of his personal experience to the table, but he, he just, he thinks through roles so well that I mm-hmm. think that he could bring to the table a really, really layered performance. I just, Absolutely. He's, he's a really smart actor. I like him a lot. So Riz nice. Ahmed. Right. It's similar to my pick with, I have an actor of Middle Eastern descent. And that's something that the first movie was criticized for, for not oh. having any main actors mm-hmm. uh, in the cast be of Middle Eastern descent, despite being influenced by that culture. So I picked... Rami Malek. And I know it's, it's ever since Bohemian Rhapsody, it's kind of been cool to hate on Rami Malek. I've noticed, (laughs) but, but I love the man. He's great. He's great. great. I I think he might not have the largest of range. He was great as Freddie Mercury, but he usually plays the creepy weirdo. Um, But Mm -hmm. I think he could totally pull off this role, you know, as someone who could have been the chosen one, but has this animosity but respect for Paul uh, in also a great way. He's Egyptian, so to get some representation in there. I think either him or Justin Thoreau. I, I just had to throw him oh, in here. Of I, course, <laughs> Justin Thoreau needs to be in this movie. He, he, you know, he would be a good Count Fettering, I think. He would yeah, be. we are we are huge <laughs> Justin Thoreau fans on this yeah. podcast. Yeah. I think, you know. Justin Thoreau head. Yeah, longtime listeners know that. But yeah, yeah we just, he's so underrated. He's great. Yeah. So we were just, uh, we were just quoting him in American Psycho today. Yeah, how to nip it like you get yeah. so tasteful. <laughs> That's awesome. He would uh, he he fits like my vision for a Count Federing though. Like his the look, like yeah, that that would work well. All right. What about what about Lady Margot? Who you guys have? Okay, Laura. Because I have I have two amazing picks, so I'm gonna wait to see yours. But like, I'm I'm curious yeah. to hear yours first. Okay, I went with Anna de Armas because I want her oh. to be in a lot more. Laura, you and piece of shit. That's what I should have done. That's brilliant. Love her so. And- that's, Do you have that's her? amazing. I have her for Princess Irulan. Oh, okay, interesting. I have a, I have an equally good choice for her. Yeah. But she's I my number two. That... She's my number two for Princess Irulan. Sorry, so she's nice. not my number okay, one. Okay, so she but, can move yeah. up. She can yeah, move exactly. into my space. She moves into one later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, yeah. I love her. I think she's good in everything I've seen her in. And mm-hmm. I felt like I wanted almost more like Zendaya in the first Dune. I wanted her in uh, Bond 2021 more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she just, I felt like she got a little shoved to the side. And I think that the marketing campaign made her feel like a bigger character. Agreed. And so that was one of the many letdowns that I experienced watching the 25th Bond movie. So yeah, I think she would be fantastic in this. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Wow. Yep. That's a great, yep. that's a great pick. I have two choices. Oh no, three choices as well. So first choice. I didn't know that we could do multiple. I could have come. Yeah, to the sorry. So I, many there, were, there, were two, there were too many. Yep. Yeah, to it's be fine. to it's be fine. fair, we never pinpointed We didn't establish rules. any rules. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't establish. So my first pick, Tessa Thompson. Love her in everything oh, she's okay. been yep. in. Yep. Can you remind me what she's been Guardians in? Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, not Guardians. Uh, Thor, Ragnarok. I'll Google. She's the Valkyrie. Yeah, yeah Valkyrie and Thor, Ragnarok. She's in Annihilation. She's the woman with the glasses. Uh, she's in. I feel like I know you. Oh, yeah. yes. oh th- that's a really good choice, actually. Oh, she was also recently interviewed for N Variety. Oh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> I love Variety. She's great in Creed. Uh, she is pretty fantastic in Westworld, a show that's kind of mm-hmm. petered off, but 
she's has remained she's consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so Tessa Thompson or the second actress I have, this is Tessa Thompson's real best friend in real life. I've said real twice, uh, but uh, Janelle Monet, love her yeah. and everything she's been in, especially Moonlight. But I love her music as much as I love her acting. She's stunning and has a great voice, both talking voice and singing voice. So I'd love to see Janelle Monet. I think she could kill it. Janelle, I don't, how do you spell Janelle? Janelle Monet? J-A-N-E-L-L-E. M-O-N-A-E. What, what was she in? Well, yeah, singer primarily, but at Moonlight. Oh, okay. Hidden Figures. Okay. Lady Mario, okay. She's going to be in Knives Out 2. Oh, she was in Antebellum, oh. which I didn't see, but we yeah. kind of touched on. Would definitely nice. recommend her music. Too. Yeah. I'd, okay. It's pretty awesome. I have a lot of her songs on my workout playlist. She also gotcha. does like slower songs too, but yeah. All right, all right. So for, for my Lady Margot, thinking of a, a cunning, evil-minded woman, I had Charlize Theron. Mm. Nice. And I had uh, Emily Blunt, because I just love oh, Emily Blunt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she already, she already did Sicario, so she, she's good with Denny V. Come on, yeah. let's, get, let's get Emily Blunt in here. Charlize Theron has that like kind of like side-eye, like evil <laughs> eye. I think she does that yeah. really well. Yeah. yeah. Piercing stare. Yeah. Yeah, it just has a, such a stage presence. So she could make a lot mm-hmm. with that small role. I'm guessing it'd be a small role, but yeah, yeah. All right, nice, solid, solid picks. It was a good start. All right, who's up next? Aaliyah. Oof, t- again, toughest. I want to go one. last on yeah. this one. Right. So both of you, because I think I have a really, really, really good idea. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, kick us off, Dan. Yeah, I think they're going to age the character up a few years. I think mm-hmm. Denis Villeneuve is a brilliant director, as we've already established. But I, I don't think you can get the performance <laughs> that they're looking for out of uh, a yeah. child, a, a, like a twenty-year-old woman in a four-year-old's body. I think. No, she, yeah, a, she's like yeah. 100 a hundred. Yeah, she's, well, yeah, she's, yeah, she's, she's all. Women ever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a big ask. Yeah, for yeah. a four year old, can you play every woman ever? The, uh, the little girl in the David Lynch. Uh, oh, that that poor girl. That poor it was girl. her fault. Yeah. I watched stinks. that. I had nightmares of uh, yeah her. Um, uh, hello, Uncle. Yeah, I can't do <laughs> the voice. So I think they're gonna age the character up a few years, and my pick for Aaliyah is Brooklyn Prince, who was the little girl in the Florida Project, which came out a few years ago uh, with look it up. with Willem Dafoe. Uh, yeah, she she was in talks to get an Oscar nom for that movie. It didn't happen for whatever reason, but she was brilliant in that. A great new and upcoming actress, Brooklyn Prince, is my Brooklyn pick. Brooklyn Prince. Okay. Brooklyn Prince. Yeah, I, I had... Th- Three possible Brooklyn Prince. Okay, I don't know Brooklyn. I I had um, Violet McGraw. She is in Doctor Sleep. With Rebecca. She's the little girl in, in Doctor Sleep. Oh, okay, yeah. Already worked with Rebecca Ferguson. She's tenish, so she could play an eight, smart, seven year old, mm-hmm. right? I had Vivian Blair. She was in Bird Box, which don't recommend that movie, but I thought she was she was the little girl in that and. <laughs> I oddly like saw a clip of her doing martial arts. Like she, oh. she did martial arts and she's like 
because she's in this movie she's in this kid's movie where like little kids fight crime and she's like really impressive with like her moves so she's you know again like eight years old could play a a five-year-old i guess maybe and could move around um and then my last one if you really wanted to age her up a little bit was uh julia butters she was in um she's the girl in oh danny yeah. Yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Once, yeah. yeah, exactly. I thought she was phenomenal in that movie for her small role. So I feel like yeah. she would she would be a good good Aaliyah. Yeah, solid picks. Um, okay, so mine, you would really have to age her up a lot. <laughs> and I don't know how they would explain that too well, unless they kind of aged her down physically as well a little bit. But uh Tim, did you watch Queen's Gambit? Oh, I haven't yet. I've been I've been dying i think you guys convinced me to watch it but um okay i've uh i have not gotten that yet okay so yeah i the the little girl who plays beth's younger self her name is isla johnston and she has a really good face for it (laughs) i don't know i she's a she's really intense because she plays a really intense role in queen's gambit and mm-hmm. again, like she's she's a little bit older than you'd probably want her. Um, so you'd have to kind of explain that just because we literally know that like she's not even born by the time the first movie is done. Right. Um, but I think she'd do a really, really good job. And yeah, can, the Marvel films have been aging characters down. Yeah. You could do that with yeah. her. Yeah, that's a brilliant choice because I had the comment that that actress was a little bit stiff and solemn and super serious in the role but that's exactly what you need for this yeah. otherworldly creature who is Aaliyah this person who is endowed with thousands of years of knowledge and is is kind of a threat to everyone and yeah. you know has these little I feel like marks. yeah I feel yeah. like she could turn her head and you'd be like Jesus Christ yes <laughs> yes Fuck. yeah um, no just looking at these IMDB photos I'm sold Laura this is good yeah I like yeah, it I'm she's, I also considered Brooklyn Gaylord. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what, maybe is. Yeah, a little baby Gaylord. Yeah. <laughs> baby Gaylord. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be dream. That's truly dreamcasting. That is dreamcast. Our, our niece in yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Great, great pick. Yeah. yeah. Nice. All right. Now we're getting to the big leagues here. Let's go. Let's go, Princess Irulan next. Yeah. So I, I again, I, I had Anna de Armas as my number two. I, th- I think she'd be. It could be number one. My number one, I had um, Naomi Scott. She's in Aladdin. What's her? What's oh, her name? I just need to Google that yes. before I react. Yep, I know. She, she I is. thought. I think she. I think she's fantastic. Oh, I thought she, she was even kind of looks like Anna de Armas a little bit. They have like the and, same bone structure. And I mean, she plays. She plays a princess, right? And she's most famous for her role as a princess. I don't want to typecast her, but she's phenomenal. She's also a phenomenal singer. I, don't, I know Princess Irulan doesn't have any singing, right? But you could easily incorporate her somehow yeah. to, to like sing a song. I don't know. But she, I she, I thought was, um, nice oh, pick. it's a great, it's a great movie. And, and she steals the show of that movie for her singing, but she's also a phenomenal actress. So, um, yeah, I think Naomi Scott would be my number one. More nice. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll go next. Um, Zoe Kravitz. Zoe oh. I also a great singer. I just really love her. Yeah, <laughs> she's yeah, she's fantastic in Big Little Lies, 
and yeah. uh, everything else. I, I feel like I'm saying that about she, all these actors, but it is our be, dream cast. Yeah, so. it's going to be Catwoman in the upcoming Batman movie. Ooh, I am excited about that. Yeah, She looks didn't, sick. Didn't love her in the uh, X-Men movies, to be honest. But oh, I haven't seen them. great in Mad Max, great in um, Big, Big Little Lies. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. She always has this kind of like mystic look in her eyes. Yeah. That I think she would be a great. Very like, true. Yeah, yeah. Mysterious, otherworldly, but you feel that she's knowledgeable and it's like mm-hmm. comfortable. Watch. Yeah. I, yeah. That's a, that's a great. Great pick. pick. Great pick. Yeah. My pick. This is a case where I agree with everyone on the internet. You've probably have come across this name in your research. No, it's, not me. I, yeah, actually, I haven't. I don't know who you're saying, so I'm just um, saying I haven't done any research because I'm not as, like, I haven't dug as deep as you two have. Well, this is, everyone on Twitter and everyone on Reddit and Instagram, they're all saying this actress should be Princess Irulan. And I have to say, it was the first choice when I was thinking about it, Anya Taylor-Joy. Oh, Mm. yeah, I did think about Mm -hmm. putting her in one of these roles, but yeah. I see. I can see that. Yeah. 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 Why? Why did you choose? Because I think my choices matter. (laughs) Oh, gotcha. Well, I can see it. It's not going to happen, but I can see it. (laughs) I think I'm influenced by the first movie where Virginia Madsen plays Princess Irulan. So this kind of platinum blonde hair, kind of this mystical, stunning beauty who who pulls you in. She is described in the book as to kind of having that Helen of Troy type of looks mm. where like men fight wars over her. And I think also Anna Taylor-Joy is just one of our favorite actresses working today. I Was she I, good in, uh, you saw Last Night in yes. Soho, right? Yes. I'm oh. just going to say yes because she's good in everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, amazing. And la- she's amazing in every single thing we've seen her in. Uh, yeah, I have not, I have not seen her yet. So I need yeah. to. Oh, oh, she's in Peaky, so she's in Peaky Blinders. Yeah, yeah, she's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's yeah. in The Witch and Queen's Gambit. Thoroughbreds. Yeah. Thorough- oh my God, Tim, have you seen Thoroughbreds? No. Thorough- oh my God, Watch that, Tim. listeners. Literally Watch turn that on tonight because okay. it's Thoroughbred. It's a movie. It's a movie. Thoroughbred? Yeah. It's a tight ninety minutes. Uh, Olivia Cook is also in it, and uh, it takes place in New England. Yep, it's oh. in Connecticut. Yeah, yeah Connecticut. It's, oh, it's yeah. so good. Okay. Okay. So yeah, Anya, Anya Taylor-Joy. I, to me, she just seems like so obvious that she's not going to be cast. I think maybe they'll, they'll go a, a different route and Anna de Armas or, or maybe Naomi Scott or um, Zoe, Kravitz. Zoe Kravitz. Those mm. all seem killer I think roles. we should start a pool for this yes. too because yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm really ready to go <laughs> to yes. war for <laughs> all of my choices. Right. Yeah, and we should absolutely. say... Listeners, as of this recording, no one has been cast for these roles yet. Yeah. So we just want to yeah. say that for if you're listening in the future, <laughs> we, we they haven't been cast yet. That's why I think if I were to put my money on it, I, I feel like Anna probably has the best shot, right? With Blade Runner and her experience. So like, it's like Naomi, I think would be my first dream cast, but I think Anna would do equally yeah. as well, which is why yeah. I was kind of like... If we're doing the pool, I want to change my my number ones. <laughs> sure. Gotcha. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. But I think it'd be fun to open up a like a bracket or a pool. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So now we're getting into the big leagues. All right. Oh, I, we have to put the Emperor last because he's not... Mm-hmm. They talk about him all the time in the first movie. So next up, Fade Rautha. All righty. Mm-hmm. We're getting mm-hmm. into it. Mm-hmm. Tim, lead us off. 
All right. So I'm I'm pretty excited about Fader Alta because I got some yeah. I got some good picks. My number one choice would be Sam Claflin. Do you know Sam Claflin? He okay, played Oh yes. He played Fiddick in Hunger Games and he plays um Oswald um what's his face in Peaky Blind He's so good in Peaky Blinders. Have you guys seen Peaky Blinders? Yeah, we need to we need, we need to, to watch, watch it. that. Yeah. yeah. But he has, he has like, he has the look I'm thinking of for like how I pictured Faye Rautha, like this very charming, cunning, again, he was pretty badass in, in, um, Hunger Games and, um, in some other movies he was in. He's in The Huntsman, I think. He's, he's not super well known, but I think, I think he just fits that role super well. And I don't picture Fade bald like uh, Beast, Raban, or the Baron. I picture him kind yeah. of like with that same pasty white skin, but kind of like a cool hairdo, if that makes sense, right? I, like, that's how I kind of pictured him. When I when I was thinking of, of Fade, I initially was thinking of the cast members in Vikings. Have you seen the show mm. Vikings either? No. Yes, like, they're, yeah. They're, they're one of, one of my other favorite shows of all time. They kind of have like shaved heads with these really cool braids, like mm-hmm. Viking braids. Like go just look up Vikings and uh, the photos in them. Like I picture that hairdo for like Fade in the, cool. and, and Sam Claflin, I think. I think he's a phenomenal actor and I think he just fits this role perfectly. So here's, here's my number one. My number two hot take would be Zac Efron. And I stand by Ooh. it. I think Zac Efron would be so good in this role. Because I think a, he's... I did not think that that's... I think he's a I great actor. And yeah. he's what I picture. Like, Beast Raban is the, is Dave Batista, this huge guy. Whereas I picture Fade kind of like this sleeker, smaller, but still like very masculine guy, but charming and cunning. And, and so um, I, I still think Sam Claflin would be the minor one. But Zac Efron, I think, would crush that role. Um, and, and both of them, I, I pictured them in their like, kind of like early thirties, which I know they're both around there. So that's, that's yeah. kind of where I, I, I put it since Dave Batista is like 50. So yeah, right. supposed to be brothers. Yeah. Spe- Good choices. Yeah, yeah. Great choices. Speaking of last night in Soho, Sam Claflin has a cameo in that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, oh, I, okay. Great. My, my third choice, I did have three because <laughs> you could go. We, they could pull a fastball and go with a female lead for Fade. They did it with Leah Kynes. I don't. I don't think. Oh really? I don't oh, think I, Denny's. I, I don't think yeah. he's going to. I don't yeah. think they would. But I would like Alicia uh, Vikander or Karen Gillan. I think would crush oh, the role as well. Yes. I have to Google both of these people before I react. Alicia Vikander is Ava in Ex Machina. Ex Machina. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, um, I like that. I and, like that. Uh, Karen Gillan is Nebula in Gardens of the Galaxy. Blue Lady. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, nice. I, those are two really good choices, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, Jumanji, red red hair uh, woman. Yeah, 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 okay. Kicks ass. Yeah. She's the one in, in Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah. Yeah, oh. it does not look and the same, gosh. right? With the yeah. shaved head, but. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. All right, let's hear yours. Great choice. Danny? I thought you'd you never wanna... ask. So, Oof, I'm so excited. One of my choices is another one where film Twitter and Instagram and you know news sites already are predicting. But I think I am picturing Fade uh, with the shaved head and shaved eyebrows, pale look. But 
where I don't think he'll have hair, I'm picturing him in like a crown that he has made either from oh, interesting past opponents, like maybe his uh, vanity. He's created like a bone helmet. I don't know, something pretty hardcore, maybe clothing or skulls, you know, something heavy metal. So my first choice is Barry Keegan, spelled Barry Keoghan. He is uh, in The Green Knight. He's also the main kid in The Killing of the Sacred Deer. He posted a picture of himself on Twitter with a shaved head and shaved eyebrows. And everyone's like, is he oh, is he going to yeah. be Fade Rautha? But the production hasn't started and it's not starting until the summer. So perhaps that's for another role. Originally of Irish descent, he's so creepy in everything he's been in. It's so effective. I, he's a great actor. I haven't seen him in The Eternals. He's in that too. I just saw that he's in Dunkirk too. Dunkirk, yeah. He's a yeah, little kid in that. I remember this. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. So so that's I that's think... the only thing I've seen him in. And it's funny. I, I, I don't know if you heard my comment right before we cut off, but I said, don't say Barry Kagan. <laughs> uh, oh, really? So I, <laughs> I, I saw that. In, in every like forum I read, everyone was like, oh, Barry Keegan, Barry Keegan, Barry Keegan. And I don't know what it is. I didn't like him in Dunkirk for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And that's all I've seen him in. I need to see him in more things because I know he's in The Green Knight. I know he's in, I, I've heard he's great in, what was it? Yeah, The Killing of the Sacred Deer. Um, of the Sacred Deer. And I was looking it up and, and he's, I just, I don't, I don't see him fitting into the, like, because the, he's like 5'7" and a small dude. And I, I just, I'm in my mind, right? The, the Harkonnens are these like big warriors. I don't see him being that. I, I feel like we already have Timothy Chalamet, who's kind of like the, he's like scrawny, but an elite fighter and warrior. And I, I pictured this foe who was more like, more like Beast Raban, but not quite over the top. So I'm, I'm not going to lie. What, like don't see Barry Keegan, but, not to say that he wouldn't crush the role because I've only mm. seen him in, in Dunkirk and he could actually, every, everyone's saying he should be in it. And I haven't right. seen Eternals and he, pro he probably would. So I don't know if enough about him, but. Um, well, I actually kind of think the opposite of that. I viewed Fade as a complete foil to Paul, not an opposite in every way, but he's basically Paul. Yeah. He's, so Barry Keegan yeah. is the same height as Timothy Chalamet, same build approximately he Barry sure. Keegan's a little more jacked but I think I had the same feeling too at first I didn't think he was a good actor and I slowly realized over time it's like no he's just played creepazoids his whole career yeah. and he's yeah. really good at it uh, Dunkirk yeah. is an exception but he has a small role in that and he's not really yeah. Right. You don't really think of Barry Keegan when you think of Dunkirk, but Killing of the Sacred Deer, I mean, that movie will mess you up. I actually don't recommend that. Oh, really? Uh, it doesn't really seem like your type of film. Hmm. It's a dark, okay. dark, dark comedy, but more focused on the dark side of things. Yeah, I'd, this is just a case. Yeah. Um, but another actor, and this is going in the complete opposite direction, so someone who is much taller and older than Timothy Chalamet. He's super underrated. Oh no, don't say my choice. I hope you don't say my choice, go ahead. <laughs> that would be great if you did, that would be yeah. amazing if you both had the same choice. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. All right, what is it? I'm choosing. Or say at the same time, that'd be fun. 
Yeah. Do you want to say? Yep. say? On three. One, two, three, and say it. Okay. One, two, three. Robert Jesse Pattinson. Okay. Oh, no, we did. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> no, that one, Dan, can completely get on board with it. And I, I had Robert Pattinson on my list, but I, I took him off after I thought about it for a little bit longer. But I want to hear your explanation. Yeah. First. So. I've had the pleasure of meeting him in real life, an incredible person and so thoughtful, fun to be around. But yeah, we had just watched yeah. Twilight oh, recently. Tim. Oh my gosh, and we shouldn't go too far into this, but yes. I, oh my God, I watched the first Twilight movie for the first time in my life. And yeah, this poor, this poor actor, someone with oh, genuine no. talent who, mm-hmm. he was in Goblet of Fire, and so he got yeah. famous through that. And then yeah. Twilight swooped him up and took away five years of his life. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. he was forced to do these dumbass movies instead of... And so right after the final Twilight movie, he starts coming out and stuff like Good Time and The Lighthouse. And he's going to be Batman. And, uh, oh, Tenet. He's one of the best parts of Tenet. So much charisma. Oh, yeah. You watch these movies he does after Twilight. And it's like, what a shame. He could have been doing this for years. He's incredible. Mm-hmm. He's he brings a, such a different kind of energy so to the movies that he's in now. In yeah. Twilight, you can see that he's like, he just hates it. And yeah. it's like sad to watch. It's funny too, because if you've watched interviews with him during that time period, you see that he's like literally just dying inside. Yeah, look up. Uh. <laughs> yeah, t- t- <laughs> it's so sad. Yeah, listeners and Tim, after this episode, look up on youtube robert pattinson hates twilight it's just a compilation <laughs> I of can't wait of him in interviews just slamming on the movies that he's doing press for yeah he's literally um, doing press release interviews for and he they're like what's the best part of twilight and he's just like sitting there like i literally can't give you an answer like there's nothing good about these movies yeah. oh, that's um, awesome. so yeah i think robert okay. pattinson would look awesome mm-hmm. with a shaved head and he's already mm-hmm. yeah that's a great idea I like um, that a lot. so yeah robert pat my, and this is like this could be a best supporting actor performance i think yeah. it's that type of juicy role. oh yeah love love that pick i think robert pattinson we, we've talked about this right after after tenant and the uh, the king right yeah what a what a cameo in, in uh, yeah the king so he he stole the show in tenant for me absolutely i, yeah. I texted him like I think Robert Pattinson might be one of my new favorite actors. Like he's yeah. incredible. Yeah. And and you're right. He lost so many years to those movies where he could have been slaying it in other ones. Yeah. I can't wait to see him as as the Batman. I think he's gonna be great in that. So yeah. I think that's a, that's Me too. a fantastic casting yeah. pick. Yeah. So lore, Jesse Plemons. Oh, yeah. So I I shouldn't have said it earlier because I think it's maybe not my strongest choice. But I kind of went with the look rather than something that sort of considering an actor who might be like, I don't know a better word for it, but but pigeonholed. Like, I don't think that I've seen him in a lot of like action movies. Mm. And I think that I would, I just think that his look goes with the Harkonnen look. And I kind of thought, I was thinking of like, you know, Sting in the David Lynch movie. <laughs> And I don't know, like something about the red hair just kind of caught my eye. And I was thinking like, for some reason, I just, I just feel like I'd be interested to see what he could do with this role. Yeah. Again, I don't know if it's my strongest pick, but it could be something that he just kind of pulls out of his ass because he's such a good actor. Oh, yeah. 
Um, yeah. I mean, oh, we've talked so about good. him. I think, again, like in everything I've seen him in, he's fantastic. Game Night is one of my favorite movies of all time. He's so fucking that's funny his, in Game Night. That's his best role ever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But so how good. would him being Fade be profitable for Frito-Lay? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, I just think that he has this like strange intensity yeah. behind his eyes, and and I can see like if they're gonna play up the idea that he somehow threatens the Harkonnen throne, I feel like he could just be the sort of silent brewer of a character that just sort of finally comes to a flashpoint and is able to throw someone off their game. I don't know. I would just be interested yeah. to see what he could do with this, but. Yeah, Amen. absolutely. Great picks. Yeah. All right. On to the big one, the Mac Daddy of them all. The <laughs> casting choice that has the internet on fire. Mm. Hasn't been announced yet. We're talking about the Padishah Emperor Shaddam Karina the Fourth. Okay. Oh, what a name. <laughs> yeah. It's Lord. like uh Dumbledore. Oh yeah. Alfred Walfred <laughs> Pig and Pig and poops, Diagon <laughs> Alley. Um, all right, Laura. Brian Wolfred Dumbledore. Um, Your pick. My pick. Okay. Uh, this is another one where I feel like I just want to see this actor and more stuff because I absolutely love him. I think Mads Mikkelsen would do a really Ooh, good job in this role. Snaps. I, yes. I love him in Casino Royale, but then what he did with Another Round just made me I think maybe fall in love with him a little bit. Yeah. I think he's just, again, he's another person who has just fantastic range. You know, yeah, range. Thank you, Tim. Yeah. He has fantastic range. He has a really great villain in him. He played such a great uh, Le Chief in the James Bond movie. And I, yeah, I don't know. I kind of have a crush on him a little bit. <laughs> I think who he's so interesting. As, I know. as do I. Yeah. <laughs> I. I just love him. I think he'd be a great emperor. So. Good choice. All right, I'll I'll go next yeah. just so you can have the the final word. I do I do have like I do have four picks. So <laughs> okay, yeah, you can go back and forth if both of you have multiple. That's true. That's true. To, you know what's funny? I have four as well. Oh yeah, then yeah, let's go back go. and forth. Pink. All right, back. all right, yeah. All right. Who's your, yeah, go go start start four to one. Oh okay, so number four is actually a pick that our friend Charlie Reichenbach mentioned Ooh, when we were Charles. talking an Instagram. He was on our episode on The Godfather listeners. Mm -hmm. He recommended Wagner Mora, who who played Pablo Escobar in the uh Netflix series Narcos. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Underrated actor. Hasn't been in a lot, but he's very imposing. I mean he was great as Pablo Escobar. So Wagner yeah. Mora, I don't think it's gonna happen, uh, but I think he'd be great. He's my number four pick. Ooh, that is a good pick. All right. My number four pick was um, Damian Harris. And I don't know if you have seen, I, I started watching, I started watching Billions. Oh, um, okay. Yes. I know exactly who he is. And I just um, came up he with is, a, it's not yeah. the Patriots player, right? No, <laughs> no <laughs> so not I'm Damian Harris. Or Damian, uh, yeah, Damian Lewis. He, Lewis. He, um, okay, I heard Harris. What bad. else is he in? Um, he's in Homeland. Who's in? Oh, uh, yeah. But he, so, so he, uh, Billions is his latest TV show with, uh, alongside Paul Giamatti. And he plays this like billionaire investor, like hedge fund investor or venture capitalist, I forget what it is. 
and he is he's he plays this like incredibly sharp again conniving scheming guy and he has this just like this this stare to him that's so good i've i've really enjoyed him in uh in billions he's he's really kind of like stole the show with that and i mean paul giamatti always crushes but um yeah. he'd be like i i do picture the emperor as this older guy like i picture yeah. him in his like 60s 70s like a dumbledore or um but like if if there, he were to be a younger more hip emperor right i feel like damien harris would crush it yeah i think i so the next person on my list is a little bit older but i think in the book they say he looks young for his age. Do, isn't he like around 60, but he looks 40 or 30? I, I completely forgot, and maybe I missed it, but I always pictured him as this older older guy, you know? Just yeah. in my mind, that, and whenever I think of the emperor, I think of the older, yeah. older, older gentleman. Right. Well, yeah, my next pick is an older gentleman. Another one of my favorite actors, this man has never won an Oscar despite being nominated multiple times. It's my boy, Ed Harris. Who doesn't oh. love Ed Harris? Yes, oh, Ed Harris. One. Yeah. Okay, so spoiler alert, Ed Harris is my number one. Oh, okay. Ed nice. Ed, Ed, Ed Harris is so good. He's so underrated. And yes. I can't, I think we were talking about this in San Diego. I think you had mentioned that fact that he never won. And I was like, well, that be, that's absurd because the man crushes every role he plays. So yes. yeah, that's a great pick. Yeah, he should have, I don't think he was even nominated for the Truman Show, but he should have won Best Supporting for that. But yeah, it, The so, Rock, uh, History uh, of Violence. Oh, this man can do it all. The Abyss, yeah. So Sorry to take I just, your thunder. I but. just, I just, no, no, I'm so glad you also had him and appreciate him because I just showed... Catherine and I just went to San Francisco recently, right? And I made her go tour Alcatraz and I brought her to pretty much every scene in The Rock, right? The, uh, the Palace of Fine Arts in the, the Fairmont Hotel. And um, watching that movie, oh, he is, I mean, Sean Connery always crushes, but he is, he plays this general, right? Who kind of goes a little nuts, but for good reasons, right? And yeah. like, Watching this movie, I was like, if Ed Harris was a real army general, he probably would have recruited me to the army. <laughs> he's yeah. so good. Uh, yeah. he's, he's incredible. So yeah, completely on board with Ed Harris. So luckily, my number one and number two are pretty close. So I'll save my last one, which you, if unless you already also have him. Um, my number three, though, my, my pick would be uh, Bill Nye. Oh, okay, I almost put him so on good. my list because I love yeah. him so much. But I, yeah, yeah. I defaulted to someone else because I didn't know I could pick multiple yeah. choices yeah. or whatever. <laughs> um, and as, actually, as you're talking, I'm thinking of a couple more. So if if you want to oh, finish yeah. your thought, you, but then I have a couple yeah. more ideas to throw. Well, out. just he's he's so good. I mean, he's obviously best known for his work in Underworld, Dan, as you know. Yes. Um, that was a joke because I love the Underworld <laughs> movies and um, I think Bill Nye is great in those. Um, I thought he, so so Laura, uh, I just watched uh, About Time with Kat. Oh, we yeah. Just, we, we just watched yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and Bill Nye, like, steals he the show. He fucking steals that movie. So, How fucking funny he is, is he? so good. But I yeah. love, like, when he's playing ping pong by himself and he's like, I am so good when there's no ball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's just, like, playing yeah. by himself. You know, another thing that Danny and I 
always quote is when he lists the people in his life that he loves and he goes bb king obviously so he's saying like yeah. obviously <laughs> yeah yeah he's so saying great. That. yeah he's so good so yeah and and as a he he's played kind of the the villain he plays the villain in, in the underworld um not the villain but bad intentioned right uh vampire in the in those movies so i think he'd be he'd be great but so who, who else have you thought of now that you've, you've given me more time? I, I just thought of Donald Sutherland. Oh, Donald Sutherland. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. was just looking. I literally Googled, like, list of older actors. He's, <laughs> he's got the experience with Hunger Games. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. He would, he, he would be. So my number two, I feel like uh, between, they, they're, like, the same person. Yeah. I, I think that's a great pick. He, he, he like, fits the, the vision of what I think the emperor would, like, look like. Yeah. 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 My number two pick is a younger, sexier emperor. It's Michael Fassbender. Love him. Oh, fun. yeah. That just, would be fun. We just rewatched uh, Inglorious Bastards, or I did, yeah, and his, yeah. his little scene there is yeah. the best scene of all time, next to like the opening well, of the opening, that yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, he would Ooh. kill it. There's nothing he can't do. That is a good, that is a good one. I, t- I would rather see him than Damien Harris now that I'm thinking about it. That's a good one. I didn't think about yeah. Fassbender. All right. And my number um, one choice. Yeah. Uh, did you have another pick, Tim, or is that, is that all? Well, my, my number two, Ed, 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 again, Ed Harris was my number one. My, my number two slash one um, would be Charles Dance. He's uh, Tyrion, oh, or not. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, Tyrion Lannister. Yeah. Yeah. Game of Thrones. Oh, oh yeah. That's a good one. What else? What else is he? Oh, he's in? not. No, um, Tyrion is uh, not, not Tyrion. His father. Uh, Tyrion's um, father. Tywin. Tywin Lannister. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I had Tyree because I was thinking of. Uh, um. Brian Tyree. Also, Tyree Henry, also yeah. in Underworld. Coincidence? You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> you just get the whole Underworld just, cast. Yeah. <laughs> Kate now that I'm thinking about it, Kate Beckinsale would make a great Lady Margot. So I, yeah. I'm gonna take it back. I'm gonna start this all over. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. That is good. All right. Well, my number one choice is an actor who you might not know him in a lot of stuff, but we know him mostly as the titular Green Knight in The Green Knight, Ralph Ineson. Mm, Yeah. I think you told me about him earlier this week. So his voice is booming. Tim, have you seen The Green Knight yet? I have not. I have Ooh, not. Get oh, on that. Oh my goodness, so, that's so good. Yeah, Ralph Ineson is also the dad in uh, The Witch, which I know you haven't seen, but, you know, it's... Oh, this guy, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's in Guardians of the Galaxy. Not, he's not known for Guardians of the Galaxy. No. But, um, <laughs> he's the boyfriend in Ready Player One of, you know, the, yeah. his mom. Yeah, 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 yeah. He yeah. has, like, a scene, but... He would be good. Yeah, I think after seeing when the Green Knight, and he only has a few scenes in that movie as well, mm-hmm. but he's just so, it's analogous to the Emperor where you don't see the man a lot, but his mm-hmm. influence Presence. is there the whole time. The, this mm. haunting cloud, dark cloud that looms over yeah. everything. So yeah, I think he, I I hope he's nice. the one. Him or Ed Harris or the other two picks. Oh, yeah. Ed Harris would be so good. Yeah, I Do you think have any I might. That that came to you, Laura. Uh, not really. No, I'd have to think about it for a little bit longer. And I like all of these choices, so we'll see. I, it's probably not going to be any of our 
yeah like, choices yeah, yeah. it's gonna be someone who like and we harris don't know. is too underappreciated yeah yeah, yeah. well we've been recording oh. for a pretty long time so we should probably Rips. wrap it up we're gonna wrap up but tim is there anything else that you're looking forward to in part two? Oh, what what am I not looking forward to in part two, man? True. Um, yeah, I, I I don't want to get ahead of myself, even though I already am. <laughs> I'm getting excited about this movie, but I'll probably wait until after Christmas and the New Year to dive back into the book. But I'm definitely going to re- revisit that next year. Definitely, I'm going to see the movie in IMAX again. I'll probably just go by myself on like a Tuesday afternoon. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, can't can't wait to revisit. I it's it's just it's such a fun fun read, fun movie, and um, yeah, <laughs> the countdown begins. Yeah, indeed. Only less than two years away. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. well, what is it? Twenty three months. We're twenty three months away. Uh, awesome. And four days, but who's counting? <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on again. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, just, I, I look I, I look forward to these more than most things. Yeah. This is, yeah. I, I, I put, it feels like I'm back in school a little bit doing all the research and uh, look, but I get it's jazzed fun when, yeah. when there's, yeah, there's something I, I'm genuinely excited to, to research and look into because I'm, I'm very similar to, to Dan and that once I get engulfed in a movie, I, I need to know everything about that movie. Yeah. And there's some fun. Ooh, I do have two fun trivia facts. The first one is that Javier Bardem is now the third Bond villain actor to play the character of Stilgar in a Dune adaptation. Whoa. Really? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I thought you guys would like that. Yeah. I Having, love that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he follows uh, Stephen Burkoff, an octopusy, who's in Children of Dune, License okay. to Kill. And then um, Max von Sydow played Leah Kynes in Dune. And um, he played a villain inspector. I have my things right. But he is a third Bond villain actor to play Stilgar. Yeah. That's really cool. And then this is also the third time that David Dalsmachian gets killed off by Denny V (laughs) in a Denny V movie. Oh, funny. (laughs) He gets killed in Prisoners and then Blade Blade Runner. Runner. I forgot he was in Prisoners. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. Two, two, three times a charm. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Can't catch a break. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to cast you, but I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to finish off with some fun trivia. Very cool. Thank you. Awesome, guys. Well, yeah. So happy to be on. Can't wait until next time. Yes, and happy you're a Denny V fan, so we can. I won't disown yeah. you. You're yeah. And thank you, and thank thank you, Doctor Flory, for allowing me to follow in your your footsteps. I know he's like the <laughs> yeah. true Dune whiz, right? And yeah. and, and, oh and fanboy. So I'm trying to to be like Doctor Flory. Yeah, and I, I just, you guys honestly just read it once a year for the rest of your life, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. think you'll approach his status. <laughs> yeah, I have some catching up to do. <laughs> awesome. Well, let that spice flow and uh, mm. rate and review, follow if you want to. Tune in next week when we cover The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I'm so excited Very for that. Very excited Ooh. for that movie. Nice. Yeah, we're covering the Fincher film, but... Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Praise Shai Halud. <laughs> and remember, fear is the mind killer. <laughs>